in 60 years of research, not one single company has ever grown through prioritizing customer loyalty. And that really just changed everything for me. And I just leaned in the exact opposite direction because that's what the evidence was suggesting. And I've never looked back. You're listening to branding and behavioral specialist Austin Frank, founder of branding firm Wu Punch. And yes, you heard him right. He believes the research proves not a single company has ever grown by prioritizing customer loyalty. And that's just one of many market contrarian ideas he brings to this interview. Austin also tackles the use of customer personas, social media marketing, and more. So if you're a fan of evidence-backed contrarian viewpoints, you're in for a real treat right now because Austin is today's guest on Solopreneur Success. Welcome to the Solopreneur Success Podcast, where successful business owners gather to share true stories and sound advice to help you start and grow your own solopreneur business. Come soar with us and design the life you love. Now, here's your host, Steve Combs. Hello, solopreneurs. Today, I'm interviewing Austin Frankie, branding and behavioral specialist and founder of Woo Punch. First had a conversation with Austin a little over a month ago, and I was really intrigued by his contrarian approach to branding. In other words, it's contrarian compared to what you're hearing a lot of noise in the marketplace and some pretty big names and gurus out there saying different things that Austin says just ain't so. So I invited him on the Solopreneur Success to talk about it. I think it's it's fun to have a different perspective. And, and from my original conversation with Austin, he's got a lot of data to back it up. So uh, let's get started. Austin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is going to be a fun conversation, I know. So just so our listeners know, can you tell us a little bit about your background? What are you doing out there in the marketplace? And you know, what does this mean for the listeners? Branding a big topic and some people think it's you know it's logos and colors and slogan i'm sure includes those things but what is it that you do in the marketplace yeah so i'm a brand builder so branding has is a very strange term that's just kind of meant a lot of things and i don't really know if it has a, a great definition so i call it brand building which is essentially just the process of building a memory structure in customers minds over time or a series of memory structures And so what that really means is uh, kind of making sure that you look and sound unique and that over time, as you're consistent with your advertising and you're consistent with your image and you keep advertising consistently over time, then what happens is customers start to remember you. They start to build memory structures and you kind of essentially create a pathway to their brain that competes with other pathways that other brands have also created. And so really what I do is is essentially help companies to come up with the foundation for their brand and then also to give and offer ongoing support for their brand moving forward. And then the other piece of what I do is really helping entrepreneurs, business owners to understand and kind of get a feel for what is the long-term good of their company themselves as a founder or a business owner their employees and their customers. And so identifying what that is and then helping them to uh, work on their culture to make sure that business is not the end, but rather a means to an end and that they have a relentless focus on their families outside of or their personal lives if they don't have a family outside of work. Yeah, and I love that part of it too, because we don't do business because we want to you know, be away from our family or kids or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, I used to do corporate gigs with the, the cubicle farms and I'm 
not going back to that world ever. Right, right. You know, like the first of Neverwhere, right? <laughs> so I'm just curious if you could tell a little bit more about your path. To, like, why this whole idea of brand building, though? What, what mm-hmm. led you to this specific? I mean, people often say, well, I would love to have my own business, but I'm not really sure what to do. And a yeah. lot of listeners are like, okay, I want to have that lifestyle of freedom and flexibility, but mm-hmm. what in the world am I going to offer the world? So why that particular direction for you? And we'll get into some specifics on branding later. Sure. I mean, but sure, uh, yeah. I want to know more about your story and how you got into this. Yeah. So I guess it kind of starts with right out of college. I worked for a Catholic nonprofit for about eight years. And for a large portion of that time, my job was essentially to consult uh, ministries across the country on a vision for the future and then keeping them, of course, correcting them along the way to really give them the tools and equip them and form them to move in that direction. And then towards the end of my time with the nonprofit, we started doing a lot of online resources and I had a film background. That's actually how I, uh, that's what I studied in college. And so I started to produce a lot of the videos, promotional and instructional videos for the organization, eventually produced all of them virtually, and then even started to learn graphic design and, and got really interested in that and started designing the materials for the organization. But towards the very end, I started to design brands for new products that we were releasing. And that became really interesting to me and and really essentially became the most interesting thing to me. And so I kind of leaned into design, but then I came across a lot of people that were saying, okay, great, you're a designer, but if you really want to make money, you got to be a strategist. And, And what I ended up seeing was a lot of these kind of gurus, as I call them, um, saying, well, branding is more than a logo. It's more than a slogan. It's more than this. It's more than that. It's so much deeper. It's so much more personal. And I I really leaned very heavily into that and eventually uh, decided to quit my nonprofit and start my own company and was all about essentially building relationships with customers and helping them to fall in love with your company or your product by making it as personal as possible. Um, And I really leaned heavily in that direction until I came across a series of books, really, that started to place branding into a behavioral science perspective. And so I I really kind of leaned into that direction, learning as much as I could. I didn't have many clients coming in. And so I had a lot of time to learn, which was really helpful. And so I started learning as much as I could about behavioral science. And everything that I was reading was saying that brands most likely don't work that way in people's brains. They don't have relationships with brands. Brands are largely unconscious memory structures that are built over time. And customers really don't care about brands in the long run. They want a product to solve their problem, whatever it might be. They don't really typically want much more than that. At least that's what the behavioral science uh, research that I was reading was, was suggesting. And then I eventually came across a marketing effectiveness uh, research institute called the Ehrenberg Bass Institute through the leader of the institute, Byron Sharp, who is basically, it was essentially a protege of the original founder of the institute, Andrew Ehrenberg. And everything that, essentially what he did is he took the largest brands in the world, smaller brands as well, compared them and looked for patterns to see how they grew. And what he found was exactly in line with what I was reading about behavioral science completely, which again was affirming that customers do not care about brands. 
And that really the goal to brand growth is to kind of subconsciously build uh, memory structures in potential customers' brains. And they may see an ad one year and not buy your product for another three. But the goal really to build a brand is to consistently get new buyers to buy once or rarely and rare buyers to buy just a tiny bit more often. And that's how every single brand has ever grown that's grown. It has not been through customer loyalty. It has not been through brand relationships. It has been through market penetration, which is essentially just, again, getting new customers to buy and rare customers to buy a little bit more often. And there's a lot of data to support this. In 60 years of research, not one single company has ever grown through prioritizing customer loyalty. And that really just changed everything for me. And I just leaned in the exact opposite direction because that's what the evidence was suggesting. And I've never looked back. <laughs> and that, that's a funny, that's, that's absolutely a contrarian statement there, right? Uh, <laughs> we hear that so often and I've heard it on the show. And yeah. I believe there is perhaps some merit, at least I think, to customer loyalty because that's how you get them to buy again. But like you right. said, it's not the branding. It's interesting what you said because branding to you is not, okay, I love this logo. I'm going to go buy your product. That's never going to happen. Are you yeah. solving a problem in the best way that the customer believes that you're going to be able to solve that problem better than mm-hmm. anybody else at the price point that they want to mm-hmm. pay for that solution? And right. that totally makes sense. But in the, in the aspect of branding, as you're talking about it, it sounds like you're saying that it's a incremental increase over a sustained period mm-hmm. in purchasing from existing customers. So what yeah. role would branding have in getting new customers, if that's the case. Yeah. So first off, you want to get all types of buyers to buy more. So you don't want to ignore loyal customers or heavy buyers. What the data says is that you just want to prioritize new customers and light buyers over those heavy buyers, because in the long run, they're going to bring in more money than those loyal customers. But again, you don't want to ignore the loyal customers, but the loyal customers already know who you are. They don't need to be advertised to. They don't need to be reminded that you exist. And so you got to get new buyers. And branding is is really one of the most crucial foundations for growing a brand over time. And the reason why is because if you don't look distinct from any of your competitors, you don't sound distinct from any of your competitors, then you release an ad. No one's going to remember that ad. No one's going to... I say remember, but most ads are never processed actively. In other words, most ads are never processed consciously. And there's three types of learning, active, passive, and implicit. And almost every ad is processed implicitly, meaning uh, we might not even look up at the ad. But literally our eyes, I'm directed on your face right now. But that, and I barely see the, the neighbor's house next to me through the window, right? But that's not because my eyes aren't capable of seeing it clearly, they are. My brain is filtering it out, right? But underneath my conscious attention looking at you, my brain right now is taking in the neighbor's house. If a squirrel were to run across the power line, I'd glance over at the squirrel, right? Because something is happening that's not supposed to be happening or that is outside of the norm. And so when I say customers remember an ad, I really mean largely unconsciously. But in order for a customer to process and add implicitly, there needs to be shortcuts that make it really easy for them. And essentially, that's what branding is. It's creating mental shortcuts in a customer's brain, largely implicitly, so that over time, consistently refreshing those shortcuts 
whenever that customer is finally ready to buy from that category, which might not be often, it might be every few years, it might be every week. But when they are ready to buy from that category, you've already refreshed enough of those shortcuts in their mind that without even thinking about it, they gravitate towards your brand. And essentially what the marketing effectiveness research shows is that bigger brands have more loyal customers. And what that means essentially is, of course they do, because the customers know them when they don't know others. And so branding is really kind of one side of the coin. The other side is distribution. It's, it's being physically in front of people whenever they're immediately ready to buy from your category. You're already there physically, really easy for them to buy. But branding is, is essentially, in a lot of ways, a communication tool, but not in terms of engaging your fans or your audience or your customers or um, building relationships with them. It's essentially a communication tool that's largely implicit. Yeah, I'm, there's so much stuff we just touched on here. And I'm going to pause and, and take a step back. There's just a few different directions I almost wanted to roll with right now. That Number one, okay, so we were saying as far as you know, growth and what's different, but we also kind of bear this pattern. Once we get into, one thing that came to mind is like restaurants. We tend to mm-hmm. go to the same restaurants again and again. There may be 200 restaurants in your area, but you probably go to the same five or 10 repeatedly sure. again and again and again, because you just kind of, build this kind of like groove or that's where you just automatically go. That's comes to mind first uh, when you get there. I don't know how much it has to do with branding or, or just the fact that you build in repetition mm-hmm. and you, it's just easier because that's what you know, that's what you're familiar with. Until they give you a reason not to come back, you just tend to keep going mm-hmm. to the same place. And sure. I think the same thing happens often in business. I found it interesting what you said about the growth potential, focusing on those who are minimal buyers or less often. And uh, I just want to kind of point out in here that makes sense as far as growth opportunity, because if they know about you a little bit, how can you enhance that relationship? And some might say, well, that, there's customer loyalty. You're trying to grow customer loyalty. So I'm, I'm wondering, does loyalty maybe have a, a portion of that branding experience? And the mm-hmm. other thing that comes to yes. mind also, and I'm, and I'm just going to, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to this in a sec too. But one other thing I want to maybe talk about is the high level. You said you know, branding doesn't require a lot of attention on the consistent buyers. They don't need a lot of advertising. I'm thinking like, it's more of a level of awareness scale is what I found from my background in, in copywriting and marketing. That if you know like Apple and you're an Apple fan, you need to know anything except for, hey, the new iPhone's out. I'm going to the store and buying it. There sure. you go. Yeah. You don't need to have a long yeah. sales letter. It's just bang, here he yeah. is. Go to the store, buy it. But the growth in those high buyers means you have opportunity potential for more sales by more offers. So once you have established your brand as your top of mind for those you know, exclusive customers, bigger offers, more offers, that's how you grow that. Mm-hmm. What about those folks you're talking about that are on that, I don't buy as often or I buy occasionally from this brand. How exactly does branding, and you talked about the implicit learning, but how exactly does it, that branding work to drive somebody to buy more often? Yeah, so to answer your first question, loyalty is everywhere in business. The difference is loyalty to one particular brand is almost not existent. So what that means is you mentioned that people go to the same five restaurants. Well, that's very common, but it's very rare for somebody to go to the same one restaurant. So what they're really doing is they're going between competitors. They're eating at one restaurant, which competes with the other restaurant that they're eating at, right? And a lot of the fallacy with marketing and advertising and business really is that 
if you can keep them coming to your restaurant exclusively, then they're going to obviously spend more money on your restaurant. And it's interesting that you bring up restaurants because my family used to own the oldest restaurant in the state of Arkansas. <laughs> and I, I had a great conversation with my dad um, recently because I'm, I'm thinking about writing an article about the rise and decline of this restaurant, which sadly went out of business uh, a couple of years ago, but was in business for almost 100 years. And when I worked there, I was told that the loyal customers were really everything. And, and there were regulars that came in every day. There were people that... I don't know what other restaurants they went to, but they might have gone to my family's restaurant and only my family's restaurant. Okay. But what was interesting when I talked to my dad was that, and this is something I always knew, was that our restaurant, those regular customers were all very old. And largely the reason they came to our restaurant was because back in the day, it was the restaurant in all of Little Rock, Arkansas, or even outside of Little Rock. When you went to town to shop, you went to Frankie's Cafeteria. And so they went as kids and the same busboy was there when they were kids that was there when they were 60 or 70 because this one guy was there forever. And the reason I bring that up is I never got to see the data. I wish I could have looked at the data over a three-year period to see, was my dad right? Were the loyal customers when I interviewed him, this is what he said, they were the key to them staying in business. And the data for every other company says that even to maintain a business, you constantly need to prioritize uh, new and light buyers. And so I highly doubt that these regulars were the, the customers that brought in the most money. And my own personal experience of that was, you know, when I'm 14 years old, every cute teen girl that comes through that restaurant, I'm like trying to impress in some, you know, like subtle way or trying to talk to, and I'm hoping that they come back. I'm just like, you know, this girl, she like smiled at me. She glanced at me. Maybe like in my daydreams, I could talk to her next time and ask her on a date or whatever. Of course, I, I didn't know how to ask any girls on dates when I was 14. So that never really happened. But what I noticed was none of the girls that I saw come in that restaurant ever came back. And largely, this is because their age group wasn't really a focus of the restaurant and, and didn't come very often. But also, I do remember the regular customers, but I remember all these other strangers every time I was there too. I'd see a regular customer every 15, 20, maybe 30 minutes, but then I'd see 50 other strangers come through that I'd never seen before. And so essentially, what the data says is that, that we are polygamously loyal, as Byron Sharp would say, which essentially means we are loyal to a handful of brands. And those brands are usually the biggest brands because the biggest brands are most familiar. But if you've been going to a restaurant since you were a kid, that restaurant is going to be the most familiar to you. And so you're likely going to go back. And then, of course, older clientele, I think, don't like change too much. This is what we know from as people get older, change becomes a little scarier and scarier. And so I think that was a huge deterrent as well from them going to other restaurants and trying new things. But my wife and I, yeah, we go to a couple of restaurants whenever we go out, sometimes we'll go to a couple, but we're constantly looking for new restaurants too and looking at Yelp reviews and all of that. So, but to answer your second question of how does branding play into all of that, essentially there are a couple of ways that will get you to prefer one brand over another. And that's one is brand use. As soon as you actually use a brand for the first time and second time and third time, you start to gravitate towards that brand because it's safe. 
it's interesting that you bring up Apple. Apple, in terms of customer loyalty, is only slightly higher than other computer brands and other phone brands. But we don't know from the data whether or not that's because their operating systems are a pain to move away from. You know, if you ha- I have a MacBook Pro, I've I've had it for a long time. It's an older computer and it's lasted me a long time. And because of the operating system, I cringe when I look at a Windows operating system because one, it's super unfamiliar for me now. And two, it's not as attractive <laughs> in its design. And I'm a designer. <laughs> so <laughs> at, at heart, really, I'm an aesthetic guy, right? And so I haven't stayed with Apple because Apple thinks differently or because Apple represents a revolution and whatever and, and throughout history. That's not why I choose Apple. And a very tiny percent, I think 20% of all Apple users, people that use it consistently, perceive it as different from other brands. And that shows us that that differentiation, which is this conceptually differentiating yourself idea, isn't as effective as Apple's logo, as Apple's unique design, although their phones are becoming more and more just like every other brand. But the iPod, for example, when it first came out, that was a huge reason for Apple's success. Um, Not only was the iPod itself distinctive from every other MP3 player, it was also, their ads were also very distinctive too with the silhouettes and bright colored background. And that's really how they grew their brand. Yeah, so that's distinctive in the branding. How much do you think, because some people talk about having a tribe and I I believe that, for example, you mentioned customers coming into the restaurant and they were a different demographic than your primary customer base. And they said, I come and check it out once. I'm not coming back. This is not my place. I'm mean, yeah. going to certain stores, you hear, you know, they played the music for the demographic that they're primarily seeking mm-hmm. to serve. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you can tell the difference depending which store you're going into. Who's your primary graphic? Just listen to the, to the music in the background. You can also yeah, tell yeah. right from that because there's a lot of science going into what music are they playing overhead. Mm-hmm. So when it came to, say, Apple, you know, I'm not sure why you first chose Apple. It's just because that's what you got for a gift and you're a kid, teenager or, or you just picked it because your friends had it or, you know, why you went there. But is it, because you're kind of in that that familiarity zone and it's safe now, so you stick with mm-hmm. Apple. How much is that compared to like how much is it a, a tribe? And I feel like I'm part of this group. And I'm not saying Apple is always the one that you'd want to use for that example. I think there might be something to say community builds mm-hmm. familiarity and safety. And mm-hmm. for example, you know, Solopreneur Success Connections community, my community, for right. example, I'm trying to build a community where people get to know one another and and they they find the resources they're looking for, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. But how much is it the community or the tribe or the branding that keeps them coming? How much is it the offer? Is there, you know, how much would you weight those different aspects of growth? I think mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of different, what offers are being made, right? If you don't have new offer that serves a new need, or you have a recurring offer that perpetuates the fulfillment of a need or a desire, how do you continue making money, right? So, so there's different aspects of, of that. I know it's not a marketing specific <laughs> interview today, but branding is part of that whole idea. Any thoughts on how much weight you would give to those different aspects in your business? Yeah. So it really depends on, on what you're doing. So you have a community with, with your community and people know each other. They know your face. They know you. They know your personality. They know the other members of the community. They know people. They're familiar with other people. The mistake that marketers make is equating brands with a person. This is the way that I leaned into branding in the very beginning when I first started. And this is really the biggest trend that I've seen in brand design, for example, that turns into brand strategy. Or essentially, in a lot of ways, it's just a way to charge more money. But the trend that I'm seeing is this trend towards building tribes or building 
relationships, but what they're missing is the fact that brands aren't people. Your community is full of people. And as soon as somebody meets somebody, I'm part of a, or was at one point part of a networking community locally in Milwaukee. But when I thought of the networking community, I didn't think of its name. I didn't think of its brand. I thought of the guy who invited me to it. I thought of the people he introduced me to right after I introduced. And so even in my brain, when I think back on, maybe I should go to one of those events again. It's been a while. In my brain, I don't think of the black sheep community. That's what it's called. I think of Manny. I think of the guy who invited me into it and who started it. It's the same thing with your community. I think of you. I don't think of your branding or your color scheme, which is kind of yellow, orange, and black or, or whatever, right? And that's because you're the only person really so far that I've interacted with. And I think there's a difference between communities it's where they're smaller and you're actually interacting with a, a human being and you associate that community with the human being. The bigger your community gets, the less loyal people are going to be to it because it's not about the people anymore. It's about the brand of the community. I think when you were thinking about branding and you were thinking about tribes, always assume, at least this is how I I operate, always assume that a tribe isn't going to be formed, that your brand is not going to be personal enough for that. And nine times out of 10, that's going to be the case. But there's also unique circumstances like the ones I just mentioned. A great example is a local bar, right? Say there's a bar in your area and you go to the bar every day or once a week or whatever. It's a small bar and the bartender hasn't, or the owner hasn't made any attempt to grow the business. He's satisfied. And this is everywhere in Milwaukee. We're like the bar capital of the United States. There's a bar on every corner. But when I go into those dive bars and because I want to check one out or I'm waiting for something else and just want to go in there and step in, I see four or five people. Those people are very loyal to that bar, but they're not loyal to the bar. They're loyal to their friends in the bar. And I think that's a big difference. I think when you start to think that you can create a tribe or a community on a grand scale, that's when you start to uh, misunderstand how our brains work as human beings. With people, we prioritize relationships. Relationships are community is our brains are wired to prioritize community over almost anything else. But we don't perceive products or businesses in the same way that we conceive of communities or perceive communities. And so because of that, it looks very different. And personally, I think that's a good thing. I I don't think that it's healthy for someone to think of a brand if it's not a community like the one that you're running or the one that I was a part of here in Milwaukee. I don't think it's healthy for a customer to think of Coca-Cola as a friend (laughs) or to, you know, my one friend is obsessed with Dunkin' Donuts and in her engagement photos, she incorporated Dunkin' Donuts throughout. I think she would even agree now. I think she's a little younger then. I think she would agree. I'm actually really curious because I'm wanting to interview her and, and maybe write an article about her at some point. But I think she would even agree that her attachment to Dunkin' Donuts is a little unhealthy. Um, and, <laughs> well, coming from a Starbucks uh, guy, I guess I'll tell you, uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I personally don't think that it's a healthy choice for any any customer to obsess over one brand. And as marketing starts to lean more into that idea, for one, it hardly ever works. And when it does, you're kind of like screwing the person over because now they're going to obsess with over your brand and ignore the relationships in their life. <laughs> you know, like my friend's husband, fiance at the time, they took these engagement photos. He probably didn't have any say in whether or not they can use these Dunkin' Donut 
the cup and the donuts in their photos. And he might regret it now, right? But he's always going to have that to look back on. But I guess what I'm saying is, I think that a large reason for the tribe mentality is there's several reasons. I think one, it's a misunderstanding of how humans' brains work, how we actually interact with brands. Two, I think it's a desire to be noticed and loved by the marketers or the business owner. And then three, I think it is... Um, That's okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll come to you in a minute, but I was going to say, I, yeah. I, I agree with your points there, on, especially on this, because it is about relationships. We are social yeah. creatures. And I don't go out there. I mentioned the name Solopreneur Success Connections time to time. It's a mouthful, right? It's not even the yeah. easiest name to say, but yeah. it kind of defines what I'm trying to create, which is the connections. It's a social right. connection to help others, but it's not because somebody's going to come to so, oh, wow, I want to participate in that community because that's got that name and that color. I, I'm not even the slightest bit under that misconception. Yeah. I think that building relationships is showing that there's value in the conversations that are had here. Mm -hmm. listening to like our conversation we're listening to right now. If you're listening to this, if you've gotten this far into this interview, listening to this on your podcast player, then there must be some kind of value or it's just noise in the background, Toria. So great. If you're coming to my community and you come to the trainings or something, then there's a reason you're there. You're getting value. And I hope that some of that value is building connections either with me or with other people in the community, because mm -hmm. I know that's where people will find the most value. Yes, there's great training material. There's, there's resources and stuff like that. But relationships are really what key is. And that includes mm -hmm. business. I mean, business, life, whatever it is, relationships are really need to be the forefront. And building those relationships, as you said earlier today, branding, kind of almost full circle here, is about building those new relationships with customers who, who rarely buy or, or improving that relationship you already have by saying, hey, I'm still here. Remember me. You mm -hmm. came here before. Yep. Isn't it about time to visit again? We have something that would be a help or value to mm -hmm. you. And that's kind of the, the direction I, I see you taking this branding. And I, I think it's really interesting that you had the whole idea of just building this relationship. And, and it's not about tribe. And I, I agree with you. I mean, a lot of service-based, you know, I'm, one of my businesses, my first successful solo entrepreneur business was as a writer. And it's interesting when I go to like a convention or something with writers, there's a lot of folks I know there. That's exciting and fun because you have almost a tribe effect. But really, when it comes to your day-to-day -day business, I'm working with a client. And yeah. it's not yeah. about... I'm in a writing tribe, right? It's, yeah, yeah, right am, I, am I serving the need they have for sales and marketing copy and getting out the door? Am I writing the, the, the blog post that they need? Or in your case, you know, you're, are you providing the material and the background and the experience they need so they can grow their business? You're serving a need that they have. They don't care about your tribe. <laughs> they, yeah. they care about, can you yeah. solve this problem I have? And that, yeah. that's and what entrepreneurs do. They're problem solvers. I think that's a great segue as well. I, I think it's a misuse of resources to try and build a community with customers and less their client relationships, right? Their actual one-on-one -on -one personal relationships. But relationships are key to business. And I help clients to think about what are the relationships that you can actually have? So maybe you are consulting with clients individually, and that's what I do. Um, largely, I'm also a writer as well. But when the, the people that are most intimately involved in your brand, the people that, that are right there for the taking to have a really good relationship with are your employees mostly, if you're not in a client-facing business, right? And even if you are, the employees are always going to take precedent over customers and clients. They should. If they don't, then you're seeing business as an end and not a means to an end. I don't think business can change the world in profound, grandiose ways like every single startup founder seems to think. I think 
you really start to change the world by changing what's immediately inside your influence. And those are your employees and their families and yourself. And then after that, only after you get that figured out, really, can you start to prioritize uh, value for customers. The other side of that, of that coin is, I do think it's a myth that, that customers cling to the most valuable products as well. Again, there's so many cognitive psychological biases in people that completely override uh, value. Facebook is not providing real value. It really isn't. That's why I am not using social media for business. It's a very principled stance. There are some things, occasionally somebody connects with an old friend or finds out who their biological father is through social media, but the vast majority of social media interactions are not bringing value because on the other side of any community you might be a part of on social media is an entity trying to keep you on their platform as long as possible. I am part of a, there's one thing I do with social media. I'm part of a Facebook group for Catholic creatives and I use it for business because there are potential clients there um, that clearly share the same values that I do. But every time I check Facebook, which is maybe once a week, just to look at this one group, I have six notifications telling me about friends' suggestions, about a friend that said something, about somebody viewed my old page that I don't even like use anymore for my business. It's a bunch of useless things. And it's clear they're just trying to suck me in. And, and on my newsfeed, the top stories are engagements and new babies. Because again, they're trying to give me... They know I haven't been around a long time, that I rarely come on their website. And so as soon as I'm there, they're flooding me like with, I was going to say invaluable, but <laughs> unvaluable or whatever the word is, the furthest thing from, from adding value. And yet, despite Facebook not having adding any value, TikTok adding even less, people are on it in droves. And that's because at the end of the day, value isn't actually the number one driver for most customers and what they choose to buy. There are some people like me, some psychologists might call me a maximizer where I'm, before I buy from a new category, I research every brand, but I'm a very small minority. And most customers are just gravitating towards the big brands. And even when I research brands, I'm just researching the big ones typically. And so while adding value for your employees and for your business internally is, is invaluable, <laughs> I think trying to prioritize value, you should obviously add value to your customers. If you don't, why are you existing, right? That's the basic standard for being in a business. But I don't think that value is the number one thing that customers gravitate towards when choosing brands. And I don't think the data shows that it is either. Yeah. So, so I got, I'm going to have to address both of these now. <laughs> you got two, two, <laughs> two, two forks in a road here. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about both for a second too. Value relationships, of course, our, our audience is primarily solopreneurs, so they don't have a lot of employees, but they, so mm -hmm. that would be hard to say, okay, well, prioritize yep. your family relationships, obviously yep. that's, that's your core. But you do have often as a solopreneur, a virtual team. They may not be employees mm -hmm. like your, your typical mm -hmm. sense, yep. but how are you building relationships with those who support you? Is that strong? But I think you could also have a statement that even if you're prioritizing employees, building relationships with the customers, because customers aren't faceless companies, typically. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least not if you want to have a really strong, sustainable business, especially as a solopreneur, because solopreneurs tend to rely far more on relationships than big brands. Of course. Yeah, so if that's definitely. the case, I've seen repeatedly that if you are out there in the marketplace as a solopreneur, you're probably dealing with one person at a client, or you're mm -hmm. dealing one-on-one -on -one with individual mm -hmm. customers. And if that's the case, let's say you're a coach, then you're dealing one-on-one -on -one with somebody most likely. Or if you, you know, maybe you're providing 
I'll give, give again copywriting example. You may be working with the marketing director or whoever at a specific client, and that person leaves the business. What are the relationships you have there? If you don't have other relationships within that client's business, you may just have lost your opportunity within that business because that person's no longer there. And I've seen it happen to a, a number of individuals where they have a longtime client, the person they work with disappears, sure. and yes. so do they. <laughs> the whole client disappears. Yeah. Somebody else comes in, they have their own relationship. So it's good to have stronger relationships across more than one individual to client, I would say. That's one mm -hmm. thing to take mm -hmm. out of that as far as value. And I think that value proposition also comes down to relationships. So yes, I agree with you. You need to take care of your employees if you are, a, like I say, a small or medium-sized business owner, or a large business owner. I mean, if you're a large business owner, you probably don't know all the people on, on your staff. Uh, medium mm -hmm. business, you're mm -hmm. like, you know, 80, 100 people, something like that. Right. You should be able to know the people in there, but there's it comes a time when you grow too big to have a sphere of influence, a little bit beyond the scope of our podcast here. But you certainly could say that within the small to medium business, and certainly as a solopreneur, those who are very close to you build relationships. But I, I thought it was interesting about the social side of things. And you mentioned like a lot of people spend a lot of time on social media. And I can just, I imagine some of my listeners are thinking to themselves, well, if that's where the people are spending their time, shouldn't I be there? And mm -hmm. I'm going to say with you, yes and no. Because the problem with social media is that it's their platform and they'll show the users who are their customers what they want to show. If there's right. anything you need to build, it's an email list because that's where mm -hmm. you can build a relationship without interference directly between you and your customer. And exactly. you get, yes, use YouTube, use Facebook, use LinkedIn, whatever makes sense for you. But you know, even TikTok, I've heard a lot about TikTok. I've explored the idea. I have not used it. I don't even have TikTok on my phone, not interested. <laughs> My son's out there using TikTok now and he got like something like an ungodly number of, of views in the first like hour. I couldn't believe it, but he made a fun video, but that's not what I'm doing. It's just not, it doesn't serve my business mm -hmm. and my purpose mm -hmm. to me. I just don't find that even though I've been in, informed about it and told to go give it a try. No, you, get, yeah, you have to yeah. pick your, you pick your battles. Social right. media. I'm with you. I don't spend a lot of time on social media, but I use Facebook strictly for mm -hmm. sharing with close friends and family. And I'm very careful about who I bring into my personal connections. And then I go to a specific handful of business groups, you know, my page and a, and a handful of others related to my business or businesses actually. And then LinkedIn, I use that, but I find it so shallow. I, yeah. How many times you're on LinkedIn, you get those, <laughs> you get a connection request, you accept it, then you, you get the, the standard form, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, how could I help in your business? And this is going on and that's going on. And it's, it's not a relationship building. It, it's right. a sales tactic and it tastes and feels and smells like a sales tactic. And it's a big turnoff to me. And, and honestly, most people are doing social media wrong when it comes to business. I just, I don't feel it. Uh, I've had folks on who have taught on social media. And at the same time, I want to have, a, I'd rather have five real relationships with people than right. 500 super right. shallow inch deep relationships. It's better to have strong relationships. And I know if you look at my website, you'll find my vision is to help 1 million solopreneurs. That's a big goal. I can't have a personal strong relationship with 1 million people. But I recognize there's yeah. varying degrees of relationships. And I may have to talk to, I don't know, 1 million people through podcasting and speaking mm -hmm. and book writing mm -hmm. and my website and whatever to have maybe 500 relatively strong relationships and maybe 25 super, very strong relationships, right? It's a reach issue. Yeah. And yeah. it's a relationship building issue. And sometimes you'll find some people are a great connection and sometimes it's okay, I can help you today, but it's not going to be that strong relationship. Mm -hmm. And we can still find value in that relationship, but it won't need to be as strong to get the level of value we're looking for in that particular relationship. So I think it's, that's part of it. That's not 
I don't know, I'm going to go off on a tangent here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, just to kind of give you my perspective on social media, it's a trade-off for me. So I know that especially for small businesses, social media can be very helpful. The bigger business you have, the less helpful social media actually is. That's one of the big, another big myth out there that Gary Vee likes to talk about, which is traditional advertising is dead. Well, no, not if you have the money for it. It's not. It's far more effective than social media ads and just infinitely more effective than organic reach because Facebook literally has started to essentially punish organic reach over the last several years. They don't like it. But for me, it was a trade-off. So for me, I can very easily get addicted. So what I'm talking about is something that's hated by a lot of people. It's a, like you said, it's a contrarian idea at the end of the, at the beginning of the episode. And in the, for a while in the beginning, I was thinking, well, this is great. I'll get some traction. I'll stand out because I'm so contrarian. And then some of the biggest industry leaders in the branding space, two of them in one particular conversation tried to debate with me. And their arguments weren't supported by any evidence or research whatsoever. And I knew I could just show them study after study and debunk everything they were saying really easily. But I, for one, was shocked that these big names were, were coming after me. And two, it was the anniversary of my marriage with my wife, the year first anniversary. And we had this whole day planned. And the whole day, I could not stop thinking about how to respond to these stupid LinkedIn comments from these two big names in the industry. And it was obsessive for me. I was addicted to it. And, and I mentioned at the very beginning of the episode, I used to work for a Catholic nonprofit. And, and for me, I didn't leave because my Catholic faith isn't still important to me. My Catholic faith is everything to me to this day. I pray every day on my own. And then my wife and I talk about our prayer time and what it's been like, what kind of things that we've received in our prayer. And we started praying about me not using social media for business for at least 90 days. We were doing this. We were part of a community that was doing this 90-day kind of practice to prepare for Lent, which is a Catholic tradition. But so we prayed and it was very, very obvious to me that I was being called to drop social media for business. And the reason why for me is because the only reason I was on social media was because I was afraid of what would happen if I wasn't. And I don't think that anyone should ever make decisions based on fear. I think fear is the number one driver for just about every toxic work culture there is. People work 80 hours a week because they're afraid someone else will work harder than them. People decide to grow at all costs because they're afraid that some investor is going to go with someone else. Employers are afraid to give their employees reasonable vacation times, maternity and paternity leave because they're afraid they're going to lose some leg in the competition. It's all fear-based. And I was not about to be on any platform or do anything in my business out of fear. And so that was a very strong conviction for me. And I'm still afraid. I, I still fear that me not being on social media is going to hurt me in some way. But I've been fine. I've been just fine. <laughs> and at that point, I started investing, like you said, in an email newsletter. And that's what I've really been pouring a lot of energy into. I, I spend a lot of time writing, writing the articles that I send out in my newsletter a lot of time. A lot of people would think I'm crazy for the amount of time I spend on them. But I, I do want to bring that value. But I also want people to stop believing the lies about business and branding and marketing. And so social media for me is a trade-off. If, if you aren't addicted to it, or you're not prone to being addicted to it, go for it. Use it as a tool. Only see it as a tool. It is not a community building tool for the most part, unless it's a private group, typically. It really is. And even then, the group that I'm a part of, 
sometimes I feel like there's community there, but I didn't really feel it that intensely until there was a conference that I went to virtually. Then I actually met people face-to-face and talked to them. That's when it really felt like community for me, not within the Facebook group. So it's not a community building tool. It's not a way to engage in your, with your customers. They don't care about you. They don't want you on social media in the first place. They just want to talk to their friends. You're basically a dad at a slumber party, like just coming in trying to relate to your daughter's <laughs> friends. Like, like that's, that's awkward. That's, that's a funny analogy, but I see it right. Yeah, yeah, spot on. I love it. <laughs> it's awkward and weird. Customers see right through you, especially I think with influencers, although there is some impact of influencers, I think inherently we see right through um, all the authentic posts that they're posting. And so... Yeah, for me, it was a trade-off and the trade-off was not worth it. And I got off. And I would definitely strongly encourage everyone on in your community and listening to this podcast to really examine the trade-off. You might get some customers from it, but is that really worth you looking at your phone when you're supposed to be spending time with your family? No, never. It will never be worth it. And yeah, so that's what I have to say about that. (laughs) Love it. Great. That's awesome. Well, hey, this has been fantastic. And we can just continue the conversation, but we do have to wrap. Um, sure. Let's say somebody wants to uh, grow in branding. Who would be the, the people you would best serve just before you wrap up and let people know how to yeah. find you? Who would be the best audience for those who can help? And who, who do you help most? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, you know, another myth that I'll just cover really briefly is customer personas, which is this idea that you should really relentlessly focus on your ideal customer and try to get them. And that's how you're going to grow your business. It's actually a very harmful practice to do. Because again, if you want to grow, you want to grow all types of buyers. And when you narrow down your ideal customer too much, you turn off other people. So for me, I really have two requirements for people that I work with. One, they can afford me. (laughs) And two, they are open to contrarian ideas that are proven to be effective. And they want to treat their themselves fairly and their employees fairly. And then finally, their customers, once they get that figured out. And you said it's for solopreneurs, it's obvious they need to take care of themselves first. It's not. We see that in the overwork culture that's out there right now. It is one of the least obvious things actually is to focus on yourself and, and try to work on that first. And so really, I'm interested in working with people that can afford me and that are really open to transformative change that will help them to uphold the dignity of themselves, their employees, and their customers, and then grow their business if that's their goal. I cannot help myself, Austin. It's just the way I am wired when I hear something and and you're talking about contrarian. I'm going to say that that's a very contrarian approach to say that on the customer persona. Mm -hmm. I do believe that there is value, and I'm going to disagree with you on this one. I think there's value in having somebody that you're focused on and to the exclusion even of somebody who may not be a great fit. And the reason why is it does put you in a category that somebody feels like, hey, this person is talking to me because if I try to be all things to all people, then suddenly I'm nothing to anyone. And I I think there is value in saying that I'm going to focus on a specific customer. And I would perhaps contend it with you. I'm not sure we'll do it this episode, (laughs) but I'm just going to throw that out there. Would love to talk to you more about that because you know sure. you have a lot of interesting insights and like you said, what you're bringing is ideas that are researched. And mm-hmm. I also have a number of ideas that are the research. Love to maybe chat again uh, sure. to go more depth. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think we're going to wrap this one here. But wow, lots to think about. A lot of ways to really consider. And I, I don't 
at all believe I'm a, a contrarian to you in most aspects. That was, that's one thing I'd, I'd say we'd probably have to explore a little bit further and whether we agree or not. But most of what you've said today, I definitely I see the wisdom and value in what you brought here. And I've really enjoyed our conversation. So awesome. Folks looking for you, where do they find you at? Yeah, you could find me at woopunch.com. You could, I strongly encourage you to subscribe to my newsletter. I send no more than three a month. I haven't even sent some in a couple of weeks because I'm working on a, an article that I feel is going to be the most valuable I've ever written for people. So there's plenty of opportunities and prompts to do that. And then if you want to just respond to me personally, austin at woopunch.com is my email. Don't try to reach out to me on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or whatever. I'm probably not going to see your connection request or your message. So the best way to reach me is to email me. But if you're interested without reaching me, just to kind of get a more of a feel for my business, woopunch.com is the place to go. Awesome. Well, Austin, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Solopreneur Success Podcast. We hope you discovered valuable advice on how to start and grow your own successful solopreneur business. If you liked the podcast, you'll love the all-new Solopreneur Success Connections community at solopreneurcoach.com. Here you'll get exclusive access to our private, members-only community of business builders, free business building resources, and live online monthly training designed to accelerate your business success. Join us now at solopreneurcoach.com. Hey, solopreneurs, it's Steve Combs again. If you enjoyed this episode, would you do me a favor? Please give the Solopreneur Success Podcast a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. It's one of the easiest ways you can help this show to get more visibility so I can continue bringing you great guests and informative episodes like this one. Finally, you can find the show notes for this episode at solopreneurcoach.com forward slash 052. Thank you for listening.